The Gospel of Luke is a favorite for many Christians, including R.C. Sproul. In today's book, he guides the reader through this beloved gospel, the way Luke wrote it, fixing our eyes upon Christ from start to end. Hi, my name is Terence, and I'm your host for Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Today, I review A Walk with God, an exposition of Luke's Gospel by R.C. Sproul. 400 pages, published by Christian Focus in November 2011. It's available in Amazon Kindle for $9.99. For this month, or what remains of this month, it's available in Logos for free. My faith has been blessed by Dr. R.C. Sproul, not because of Ligonier Ministries, which he founded. I have watched a few of their videos and teaching series, but that's not the big reason. Nor is it Sproul's books. I haven't read his most famous book, The Holiness of God. Not only that, I'm a a bit embarrassed to say that the only Sproul book that I've read are his uh, children's books, which I got for my children. (laughs) and we do love them. I don't watch or read Sproul. I mostly listen to him on the podcast, Renewing Your Mind. Although Sproul passed away in 2017, listening to the podcast makes it feel like he is still alive somewhere, scribbling with a chalk on a blackboard, growling, grinning, and chuckling as he tells us about the wonders and awesomeness of God. In Sproul's case, his biggest impact on me was not the teaching. It was the teacher. He was larger than life. The humor, passion, precision in doctrine, the love of life that he carried around him. And did I mention the humor? He loved kidding around. I've read Stephen Nichols' uh, biography on R.C. Sproul. But as much as Nichols tries and it is a valiant effort. You just can't capture the essence of Sproul in a bottle. (laughs) And I think that is the problem with biographies of whoever you think, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones or Spurgeon or Amy Carmichael or any other saint. You just can't bottle the, the life of the person into a book as much as we try. If you are a Sproul fan, you might come to this book looking forward to more Sprolism, or more of his wit and humor, or even his deep theological insights. If yes, mm, you might want to stick around for a few more minutes before you rush off to buy the book. I did buy this book. I bought it. I didn't get this book for free from Logos, uh, or at least the free book of the month program that's available in March. This year, March that is ending soon, I got this book much earlier. Uh, In late 2017, I began a preaching series on the Gospel of Luke. And uh, so I was preaching through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and seeing that I was going to preach through the book over the next few years, I collected what I considered the best commentaries on Luke. After nearly five years of studying the Gospel of Luke and using various commentaries, I am a bit confident to review commentaries on Luke, at least as, an, uh, as a person who, who teaches and preaches the, the, the Word of God. If you are looking for R.C. Sproul's famous wit and deep insights, I'm sad to say that this is not the book for you. If you are looking for a commentary as a reference, this is also 
not the book for you. Unlike in other episodes, I'll give you the book recommendations early, right here now in this review. If you want to dig deep into the language or the historical, cultural, sociological uh, significance of the text or the different interpretations of the Gospel of Luke, then I found the Baker exegetical commentary on the New Testament on Luke by Daryl L. Bock to be the best technical commentary. If you want to be moved, to be exhorted, to adore God in His Word, then the best devotional commentary to me is the Reform Expository Commentary on Luke by Philip Graham Riken. So whether you get the Daryl Bock book or the Philip Riken book, uh, these are the books that I refer the most when I was preparing for my sermons. And uh, if you heard me, you will note that I do uh, enjoy Sproul a lot. And I bought his book, uh, this commentary, because I wanted to lean on his insights and, and see how does he interpret some of the trickier passages, perhaps. But his book offers very little. So I put the book aside until Logos gave this book away for free. <laughs> I have this podcast where I review Christian books. They're giving the book away for free. So I gave the Sproul's commentary a second look. And after finishing the book, I understood what Sproul did here. And if you listen to this podcast all the way to the end, you might be surprised as I was with his book. A Walk with God is a no-nonsense commentary. By that, I mean he jumps straight into Luke chapter 1, verse 1 from the very first page. There is no background, no outline, not even an introduction to his own book because Sproul doesn't want to talk about his own book. He wants to talk about Luke's book. The very first words in this book are, I quote, I am sure that every Christian has one gospel that stands out as his or her favorite. If I were forced to choose, I would have to select Luke's. I have studied and taught it in various settings. It seems that the more I read it, the more excited I get about it. At the outset of Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, there is what is called the prologue. It is very short, but contains a great deal of important information. In it, Luke gives his reason for writing, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Uh, Luke 1 verse 4. End quote. So that is uh, the motivation for the book, and you can see that he jumps straight into chapter 1 verse 1 to 4, telling us the intention or motivation for Luke writing the book. So not so much on why he wrote the book, but more on why Luke wrote the book. There are 24 chapters, which corresponds to, guess what? Yes, to the 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke. Each chapter has several devotions. For example, in the first chapter, there are five devotions titled, number one, Introduction, which I just read some parts of it. Number two, Gabriel sent to Zechariah. Number three, Gabriel visits Mary. Number four, Mary visits Elizabeth. Number five, birth of John. You will note that there is no fancy devotion title. The devotion title is basically the Bible heading. And uh, I was thinking that maybe the editor, when he looked at the 104 devotion titles, and there was no alliteration, no provocative line, no question, to pull the reader in, everything looked so bland, maybe he told R.C., 
RC, can't you spice it up a little instead of Mary visits Elizabeth? Why not the virgin meets the old lady? Or something different, something less bland. And uh, I'm not dismissing the effort because every day somewhere there is a preacher, a Bible teacher, thinking thinking of a spiced up sermon title or chapter title. But in this book, in this series of devotions, it is just straight up, no nonsense uh, titles. And if you want to look at the creativity or, uh, of, uh, of a sprawl, you have to read his devotion, not the titles. So let's take a deeper look at uh, Mary Visits Elizabeth. And by doing that, I want to show you what you can expect in this book. And uh, Mary Visits Elizabeth is a commentary on Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. And this is how the devotion begins. I quote, After the angel left Mary, she went to the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. As soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Luke records that the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. As the angel greeted Mary, so does Elizabeth. But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She asked. Young Mary would normally have paid homage to Elizabeth, the older of the two, but Elizabeth recognises that she is in the presence of one whom God had highly favoured. Notice that the way Sproul sets the scene, that there is no need for you to reach for the Bible. You have all you need here to picture the setting. And in what I just read, you can hear that he makes a quick comment on the cultural setting. Normally, the younger would pay homage to the older, but here it is reverse. It is Elizabeth who pays respect to Mary. And uh, if he didn't point it out, if a spro didn't point it out, some readers of Luke's gospel might have missed it. He then moves toward the emphasis of the devotion, which is Mary's song, also known as the Magnificat. He makes a quick comment on a theological debate. Some say that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was sinless. Here, Sproul cites Thomas Aquinas, who saw in this song Mary confessing her sins. And I want to note here that Sproul has restrained himself from saying more. Sproul is an expert on the Reformation, and he can write a whole book on Mary's sin and why it's wrong to say that she doesn't have any sin. And not because he knew the specifics of her sin, that would be idle speculation, but he knows that Mary, like all of us, needs a saviour. Sproul moves on. I quote, One of the reasons why Mary sings this song of praise is that she recognised something of great importance. God knew who she was. He noticed her. As a peasant of Nazareth, she was not considered to be very important by anybody except her family. Yet God selected Mary to be the mother of Christ. So from the depths of her heart, she cries out, My soul magnifies the Lord, for he has regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. Mary experienced what every human being wants to experience, a sense of her dignity. Mary, uh, sorry, Sproul quotes Mary's song in full. Uh, you can see Luke chapter 4, verse 46 to 55 uh, printed in this book. And you don't have to reach for your Bible to read it. Again, it is very self-contained, this book. And um, 
But the thing is that if you're like me, you might not know how to read or appreciate poetry or song. And Sproul here is at hand, and he, and he writes, I quote, Imagine the pomp and circumstance, circumstance of the emperors in the ancient world. They would march in procession and have slaves bearing their thrones along the way. As they were being carried along, the crowds would bow down to them. They were elevated on thrones in the air for people to admire the self-made gods. Then God would come and with one tug of his wrist, emperors and kings of the ancient world crash from their pedestals. This is what Mary says. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. End quote. After a bit more exposition of the passage, where he explains the song and the main theme of the song, he ends the devotion, he ends the devotion with the following, I quote, some Christian people seem only as zealous as the strength of the memory of their last religious experience. But there are times when we are called upon to live for Christ, when we don't feel like it, when we don't have an overwhelming sense of His presence. Every Christian knows what it means to go through the dark night of the soul. That is, when we discover what our faith and memories are made of. Even if you never experience another blessing from God or sense His presence again as long as you live, you would have no justification to do anything but live each day in praise. You could do nothing but live in gratitude to God for what He has already done in your life. We easily forget, but we are fortunate that God does not forget. When He makes a promise, He keeps it. Mary understood that as she sang. End quote. So, this is what makes a devotion a devotion. It is the way it lands. Somehow, the devotion writer must steer the mind and heart from the text, which is the basis of the devotion, to an away from the accompanying explanation or anecdotes and bring the reader towards God. At the end of every devotion, all 104 in this book, Sproul writes with the aim to so that your eyes would gaze up above and beyond the ceiling of your room so that you can see the holy God enthroned above. So that is the purpose of the devotion that we have here and Sproul often writes uh, with that aim. As a summary in each devotion, you can expect a quarter of it to be background or setting, a quarter to be Bible verses. So, like I said, you don't need to have your Bible uh, next to you, open next to you. A quarter is the exposition where he would explain the passage itself. And finally, you can expect around a quarter to be the exhortation or the application or an invitation to praise God. Some devotions are a bit different in this uh, volume. Some devotions are heavier on the background. For example, in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, the Gospel writer uh, Luke uh, name drops Caesar Augustus. Sproul picks up on that to give us a history lesson on Caesar Augustus. In other history books, even Christian ones, we, when profiling Caesar Augustus, the focus is on how great or how evil he was. Um, not so for Sproul. He is keenly attentive to the God behind every man. He writes, I quote, It was in that small village, Bethlehem, that Christ was born. But notice, 
The only reason historically why Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because of this powerful imperial decree by Caesar Augustus. It was no coincidence that this imperial decree of Caesar's happened to take place at this time, forcing them to make the journey to Bethlehem. Here is the most powerful emperor in the world acting out the decree of God himself. Caesar Augustus, in the final analysis, was but a pawn in the hands of the Lord God Omnipotent. End quote. So the nice thing about reading Sproul is that you know what a big view he big view of God. So that seeps through, I wouldn't say seeps, it floods through <laughs> the entire book so that he always wants you to see the big, big God that he worships. So that's a great thing about reading uh, Sproul or listening to him or watching him. Uh, and uh, that is the theology of Sproul, the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God. Now, devotions should be read one at a time with some space in between. Uh, we should give the reader time to meditate on what was just read. Uh, Spurgeon's famous devotion, uh, which was titled uh, Morning and Evening, uh, I will share a link in, the, in this uh, description of this podcast. Um, in, that, in that devotion, uh, you were meant to read one devotion in the morning and another one in the evening. If I wasn't reading this book, a, a Walk with God to review it, I would do the same, one in the morning, one in the evening. You should always give yourself time to meditate between devotions. And when we come to, the, to this uh, devotion, I want to offer some, a, a small criticism of, uh, of this book in, in terms of, um, of how the devotions are laid out. If I was to ask you, in the entire Gospels, whether it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, what would be the most poignant moment to meditate on? Which part of the story of Jesus should we pause and ask God to search our hearts? The crucifixion and resurrection. And I thought Sproul here could have written more, an extra devotion or two, and I'm not asking here for emotional manipulation. Now, you could say that Sproul is being consistent with how he handled Luke's writings. Luke wrote this much, and so Sproul commented this much. But if we take Luke's gospel as a travelogue, then the crucifixion and resurrection is the destination. Because of what these events mean for the whole book of Luke, I think Sproul could have, okay, or should have helped the reader see this, see the crucifixion and resurrection as a crowning climax of the whole book. And, and in his way, in the writings, in those devotions, he does, okay, he does. But I think, I suggest that Sproul could have, could have helped the reader see this by showing it by slowing it down, pausing, and forcing the reader to meditate on the events of the cross, especially when we consider who this book was written for. As I said earlier, I barely touched it when I was preparing sermons. That's because every insight Spro shares, whether it's on the language or the historical, cultural, sociological, theological, every insight he shares, I can find it in a technical commentary. 
And over there, in that technical commentary, um, the insights are described at length. We have the historical development from the, from the church fathers, early church fathers, all the way through the centuries, and we will understand how the, the ideas and the, and the understanding have changed. Or we can see the multiplicity of views or interpretation, and we have the why I think is this is the way the correct to interpret it, why I don't think that's the way to interpret it. So those technical books uh, are helpful in that sense. So when you read that and you read what Sproul offers here, what Sproul offers here is uh, very light in comparison. Now, having said that, I mean, it's not just about facts and figures. When we read and study the Word of God, we also want to see and savor God. And here, uh, the pastoral or devotional commentaries are helpful. And when, um, when it comes to Sproul's uh, pastoral devotional commentaries, uh, if, we, if we assess it in that in, from that perspective, um, the thing is that so much of the chapter is actually written telling us what we know. So uh, again, it's very light in the, in, the, in the pastoral side as well. Now forgive me for this, but every time I talk about sermon preparation and commentaries, I just have to issue a disclaimer. <laughs> I don't read commentaries to find the best bits to share on the pulpit. I don't follow commentaries blindly. I don't see them as authoritative. I approach the commentaries the same way I would approach friends. Knowledgeable, yes, but not authoritative. All right? So, end disclaimer. And in that sense, uh, I can explain here the main problem I have with Sproul's commentary. If I was approaching Sproul, okay, as a friend, as a friend coming to him with my sermon in mind, I wouldn't gain much from my conversation with Sproul. Everything that he says, I already know. Mary visits Elizabeth. The younger pays homage to the older. I already know that. Caesar Augustus, the history of the man. I already know what you have to tell me. And I know not because I am knowledgeable or because I read a lot, but sometimes it's simply because I've been a Christian long enough to pick up on these things. Credit goes to my pastor, I suppose. <laughs> because when it comes to like the Mary visits Elizabeth and Caesar Augustus, I mean, those are Christmas uh, texts. So, but what I said is also true for the most of the gospel of Luke here. Um, when you've been a Christian for long enough, you will pick up quite a lot of things. And for many parts of Sproul's book. I've heard it, I've read it, so when I see it in Sproul's book, it is rarely new. For this reason, I never took it out of the shelf for the many years I had it until this month. This month, because I have to review it for this podcast, because it's free and you should get it. Now, now that I read this, uh, this uh, work, A Walk with God by R.C. Sproul, not for a sermon in mind, but for itself, I can give you a profile of the ideal reader of this book. Imagine a young man wakes up in the morning, he has to go to school. He needs to wash up, eat breakfast, many things to prepare. His mind, as he wakes up, is racing for the new day. But he doesn't do any of that. This young man has decided to wake 10 minutes early every morning so that he would have time to do a devotion, his daily devotion. Now, for, for material, he doesn't want to do our daily bread. He has already done that. 
he found the bite-sized devotion useful, but now what he really wants is to go through the Bible. He wants to read the Bible, but it's so hard. And he is so busy. He doesn't have the time to do an in-depth study, and if we are being honest, even if he had the time, he wouldn't know how. So this young man wakes up, he opens A Walk with God by R.C. Sproul and reads. There are no knots to untangle. He doesn't even need to have two books in front of him, a Bible and this devotion. And after reading it, he finishes it, he gives thanks to God, and then he continues with the rest of the day. And the young man does this every day, and after 104 days, he finishes the book. And at the end of the book, he says to himself, I understand. Look, I know why he wrote what he wrote, and I see God more clearly now than before. With this confidence, he reads other books of the Bible. Maybe with help, Sproul's help, or other people's help. Maybe without any help. And he has achieved this level of confidence because a teacher showed him chapter by chapter what Luke wrote in his gospel. A teacher showed him that there is nothing scary about exposition. And that teacher, R.C. Sproul, wrote this book for that purpose. You will remember that Sproul said if he was forced to choose his favorite gospel, he would pick Luke's. Well, he loved it so much that he has another commentary on it. The St. Andrew's Expositional Commentary on Luke by R.C. Sproul weighs in at 553 pages, which is nearly 50% more pages than the book I just reviewed. Uh, This uh, St. Andrew's Expositional Commentary is based on a series of sermons that Sproul preached as the pastor at that church. And uh, this commentary was published in 2020, which explains why I didn't see it when I was looking for commentaries many years ago. I haven't read the St. Andrew's one, but I just wanted to make a note here so that if you are looking for a commentary on Luke by R.C. Sproul, you might want to compare the two and see which suits you better. To conclude this review, A Walk with God is written for the Christian beginning his journey. If you can see the purpose, then even the mature Christian can gain from the simple retelling of the Gospel of Luke as explained and shared by one of the greatest Bible teachers of our time. This is a Reading and Reader's Review of A Walk with God, an exposition of Luke's Gospel by R.C. Sproul. It's available for free, at least for the next few days of what remains of this month, and it's free from Logos. If you miss the free offer, then it's available in Amazon Kindle for $9.99. And let's end in a no-nonsense, unembellished note. If you like books, if you like Christian books, if you like Christian book reviews, then subscribe to Reading and Readers, a podcast where I review Christian books for you. Thank you for listening.